Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello and welcome to you all out there. I hope you're well. I hope the summer has arrived, at least here in the Northern Hemisphere, and that you're enjoying life to the fullest. Today, I am talking to a wonderful lady called Jen McFarland, the founder of Women Conquer Business. They help businesses make exceptional marketing decisions with courses, coaching, and content. And the focus is purely on small businesses. Why? Because it's so much harder to get your hands on high-quality marketing support and information. Jen is an MPA with more than 25 years of training, teaching, and executive experience in leadership, which we are going to be talking about quite a lot here today. She's also experienced in project management and digital marketing. In her previous life, she led large-scale public sector projects for the city of Portland, affecting more than 50,000 businesses and handling millions of dollars. But today, she pours her heart and soul into Women Conquer Business and her new initiative, an online community for overwhelmed self-marketers. She is 100% that marketing tech and nerd who just plainly loves helping people solve their hairiest problems. She's also an uber nerd who loves dad jokes and helping leaders find more joy in their work. She's approachable, a real, and that's her word, goofball. And yeah, she swears on her right eyeball that she will never get judgy or in any shape or form blaming others no matter how simple the issue may be, how long you struggled to conquer it. And you will notice all of these beautiful qualities in this conversation here today. We are also exploring how Jen moved from being a marketeer via Peace Corps, via corporate leadership, into running her own business that's now growing and growing and supported by a really strong community too. One of the key reasons why I wanted to talk to Jen is, and I will highlight that a few times during the conversation, that you hear and read on social media a lot about marketers who are helping you scale up to the next seven, eight figure business. And that those promises are basically made that you can achieve that in no time. And it sometimes bugs me. And in all honesty, it sometimes puts me off social media and marketing in general. And I'm a small business owner as well. And when I happened to look at her website and I read about her, her personality, her nerdiness came through right away. And it felt like a real connected, human, humble approach to helping others. And I thought, wow, that's exactly this kind of leadership that I'd like to represent here on Legendary Leaders. And that also shows there are different ways, very, very individual ways that need to work for you that you can apply in order to make marketing happen in order to get your business and your voice out there. How you can do it? Well, you will learn about that in the next ah, an hour, an hour and a half or so. 
And obviously, as always, you will um, get so many more top tips, insights that we are going to be sharing with you. So I'm going to hand over to Jen. See you and speak to you again in a second. Well, hello, hello, Jen. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I am really good. Thank you so much. It feels like the first week that is a little bit slower. And I really appreciate a slow pace from time to time. So yeah, all good. Thank you for asking. I was in full anticipation of meeting you today because just as a bit of context for the audience, when I read about you initially, I thought, oh, Jen would be a fantastic guest to talk about a different approach to marketing and not about the typical let's earn seven figures incomes in two weeks time and so on and so forth. I know I'm being very cynical, but I am being cynical (laughs) about this stuff. And your approach is just different. And we are going to talk about that here today. And then I met you and I thought, (laughs) oh my God, there's so much more to Jen and about Jen than the marketing side. And therefore I would love to delve right into this conversation to you to, by, by starting really to get to know you. And what makes you you and what got you to this point? So perhaps (laughs) first of all, Jen, um, share a little bit more about you with the audience in particular, what it is you are currently doing. So how you are serving people in this world. Sure. So my name is Jen McFarland. I run a business called Women Conquer Business. We help women, people who identify as women with starting and running their businesses. And I do talk about marketing and and marketing is a big part of it. But because of my background in tech project management, I was in Peace Corps, I've done all of these different things. I also have this blend of productivity and leadership and project management that goes into the hopper to really help people take their business and follow their dreams in the way that they want to so that, yeah, they can do anything. And hopefully avoid some of those pitfalls out there that, as you said, the marketers out there who are like, grow your seven figure business in five days, like, because that doesn't really exist. Thank you for saying that. I believed very strongly in that when I started out until I realized, wow, wow, I have no idea. I still have no idea. And I'm pretty sure some people will make it, but I'm not sure if it always makes you happy and fulfilled and as to whether, you know, all the struggles that come with it. But that's a different story that we may be touching up on. <laughs> but what you were literally just brushing over was, oh, I was in the Peace Corps and I worked in the public sector and I have experience in leadership roles. That's the the meaty stuff that <laughs> I would like to get into. <laughs> so, right. so what did you actually do or what? What got you where you are today? That's the far better question. Sure. Uh, wow. What, what did I, I think that a lot of it started by just being a lifelong learner and being super curious, I think has a lot to do with it. And it's kind of a theme throughout my career and my life. And I try to foster that in the people I work with and engage with is like, what else can we learn? What can we do to be the biggest expression of ourselves. And when I was in college, I had a friend who was really interested in the Peace Corps. And I was like, what's that? And then I realized like, oh, I want to do that too. And so she went to Bolivia and I wrote letters to her and because she didn't have a computer. Like I now 
Peace Corps volunteers are more connected, but at that time and where she lived, it wasn't a possibility. So we were doing the old fashioned, like writing letters to each other. And I became more and more intrigued by that. And her stories were just fascinating to me as, as somebody who, you know, grew up in a rural town in a rural state <laughs> in the U.S. Like it was like just this crazy thing. So I got married and my husband was also very interested in that. And we both went together in the early 2000s to Kazakhstan, which is very cold and very different <laughs> than anything I had experienced before. And it was wonderful. Uh, my husband was in a rock band. I taught English like all over. Um, he also taught, but like the more he had the more fun, like they call them secondary projects, you know, and where he was in that rock band. And then I had all these English clubs and, and everything. And we met so many wonderful people and it was great. And it really just altered the trajectory of my life. So from there, I came back and I was really, as I shared with you when we talked before, you know, I was really learned a lot about equity just in having been in Peace Corps, <laughs> where I realized I was being excluded from things and I was having like all of all of these things were happening because I wasn't a part of the dominant culture. And that was when I started to realize like that that happens in the United States where I live as well. Like it's just that I'm part of the dominant culture. So I wasn't as aware of it. So I started to build on that awareness of the other and how things are different. And I started incorporating equity into my life. It's imperfect, but I do the best that I can. <laughs> and that if people tell me I'm wrong, I course correct. So I came back from Peace Corps and I did, I led a nonprofit group where we were doing reading, tutoring, and then I went to grad school and studied management and leadership. And from there, I went into the public sector and ultimately became a, an executive working on finance projects. We were implementing a lot of tech. I worked with my partner when I left was the Internal Revenue Service. So we were doing taxes and finance. Finance <laughs> with a public sector entity. I didn't work for IRS. I, I worked for the city of Portland and it was really technical and all kinds of things. And I thought, you know, I'm just not helping people. I want to help actual people. And so I ended up leaving and starting my business. Yeah. Sounds very pragmatic, very planned <laughs> through almost. Um, Even though it wasn't. Ahead. <laughs> None of it was planned. It just kind of is how it happened, you know? Um, you know, and I hadn't really planned to leave my job either. It's so funny. I was talking about that right before I came on with you where it just was really clear that even though I was hired as a subject matter expert, my boss didn't want to hear the opinions he hired me to give him because he didn't want to be told no ever. Yeah. So it was a, a very uncomfortable situation. It was very difficult. And um, ultimately, I decided to leave for my oh, own mental health. <laughs> it, it really reminds me of, of something. I um, working with organizations and teams quite frequently on the DEI topic. And one of the little tools that we teach is what does inclusion actually mean from an identity perspective? Mm -hmm. And it's basically the point where 
we feel true sense of belonging, i.e. we can be ourselves, we belong to a group, we feel truly connected and we can show up as ourselves, all yeah. our flaws and strengths. But there's a side to it and that's uniqueness. We embrace our uniqueness. And what we often come to actually talk about is we are hired for our uniqueness because of that uniqueness, the expertise that you bring. Yeah. But then you are not accepted for it. It's, you know, it's not really valued and appreciated for various reasons. One being organization team is not ready for it yet, hasn't been prepared for it yet, didn't actually understand what it truly means. How was that situation for you? I mean, I was 100%. I had worked at that organization for a long time. I was promoted into this position. It was something that I was hired to learn about and teach about. But if the person who hires you isn't willing to learn from you and adapt, then it becomes untenable, Mm -hmm. at least in the situation that I had where I was in the position of having to tell my boss no all the time. And it wasn't had nothing to do with me personally. It had to do with regulations that were outside of my control. And I had to abide by them. And if you have to tell somebody no, and they don't ever want to be told no, <laughs> I, I mean, there, it was just something that couldn't be overcome under like any circumstance. So it was, it was challenging. And ultimately I ended up leaving and there were several people who filled that role after me. I don't know where they're at with it now, <laughs> but you know, it, it wasn't, a me problem. Like when you see people leave and, and I had stayed far longer, um, it becomes more of an organizational issue. And I think that that happens a lot in organizations where, uh, the leadership isn't ready for reality. (laughs) And so they bring people in, whether it's a consultant or they hire an executive or whatever. And then they're like, well, this isn't what we wanted. (laughs) And there's all this friction and you either work it out or you don't. Yeah, exactly. And the shame about all of that is that some real talents leave the organization, often because there's one person who doesn't want to hear the word no in this moment, right? Let it be ego or whatever it is. And sometimes it's more people in the organization closing their eyes, shutting their ears and um, not acting. And that has a certain ripple effect, People not speaking up, people noticing that and being nervous and fearful about it. And and you mentioned mental health. So how did the situation impact your mental health overall? Well, I mean, when somebody's just questioning you all the time <laughs> and you don't feel like you, you're making a difference or you've, you know, ultimately I was starting to be cut out of meetings and feeling like I wasn't trusted. There was all kinds of things happening. I mean, that's just not a good We spend too much of our time working to be in those places all the time. It, it begins to erode your confidence and makes you feel very uncertain and, and fearful in a lot of different situations. So yeah, you have to look out for yourself. (laughs) A lot of coworkers aren't, and, and organizations aren't really looking out for your mental health. And if it's not, if it's not helping you become better. And if you're not working in a place where people are helping you grow, then you have to take it upon yourself to find those spaces where you're allowed to do that. So where did you find those spaces eventually? 
<laughs> well, I ended up leaving mm -hmm. and I will admit that I left too soon. Like I left because I felt like I needed to, but I didn't have, you know, what is now called women conquer business. It's not like I had this like thriving side hustle, <laughs> you know, so there's been a lot of pains, you know, from just leaving and not having a big business infrastructure set up, different things like that. It's very difficult to go into that, but it has ultimately been worth it. And I was a lot happier as soon as I left. And that alone kind of propelled me through some things early on, just the idea that I was in control of my own destiny. What do you think in this transition phase where you haven't gotten the business ready to go and thriving, where you might still be working through the emotions and the aftermath of your corporate or public sector experience, who did you basically go to in order to have support? You know, my biggest regret when I left the public sector, so I was really fortunate. I'm married. You know, my husband has a job. I was able to not immediately feel like intense pressure, <laughs> like I did need to work, but like it, it wasn't intense pressure. The mistake I made was that I didn't give myself time off to decompress and to really sort through my emotions on some things. And that is something that I wish that I would have done was like, take a real vacation. Even <laughs> you don't need to leave a really stressful situation and then just jump into another potentially stressful situation, which is like starting your own business to do it over again. I would have taken some time to decompress because I had a role where I was on 24 7 365 I was getting calls after I left and like saying and I was like that's not me anymore <laughs> like you know so to your point I mean I have a therapist I talked to her a lot when I first left um, friends and family I, I think that you do have to rely on your support system so that people can can guide you in what they know and and hear you and help you I find it very cathartic to listen to you saying, I wished I would have taken time off. Yeah. It took me a while to realize that I should have done the same after I've left the corporate world in my case. And I realized that when everything was already running and going, and when you start out, you're on your own in your business quite often. Not everybody, perhaps, but I was definitely, and it sounds like you were business-wise as well. So it makes it hard to say, oh, no, now I'm going to stop. And I take a few weeks or months even off and go somewhere and relax and chill out and decompress. And I would give exactly the same advice to people. Take your time to kind of gather yourself to be and to let go as well of the past experience. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you need to do it. And in fact, you need to not work as much as you think you do. <laughs> when you leave your corporate job and start your thing, because there's always something that needs to be done. And I would say that after all this time of working in it, I'm realizing that I need more time off than I think even now, because when you start your own business and run a small company, like there's always stuff, nothing's ever done. It's not done. So you need to really pace yourself. And if you are wearing more hats than maybe you wore if you were in the corporate world or in the public in the public sector where you have colleagues and a lot of help, then you do need to <laughs> you need to rest more so that you're on. 
you know, yeah. because you become more of the face of the organization. Yeah, 100%. Actually, it reminds me of a conversation I've had with my coach supervisor this week. And I said, I think I'm ready for a mini sabbatical. Even if it's part-time sabbatical, but how can I do it? Just gather some energy again and refocus. Everything you said is so true. You come out of your role and then you move right into the busyness again. And you are on all the time. And once you are the face, you are the face. And you are the main point of contact for anything. So switching off is a real art. I haven't figured it out yet. Have you? No. (laughs) (laughs) I I know how important it is. I haven't figured it all out. I mean, my in the evening, my dog is like staring at me and my phone and like, like, are you done yet? And every once in a while, a paw will come up and like hit the phone. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay, too much phone time. I get it. You know? Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, it, it's a challenge. It's a struggle. And, and it's ultimately about remembering why you started the business, which for many folks is so that you can do what you want on your own terms. And that doesn't mean working all the time. <laughs> and that's the struggle, right? Like that's the thing to remember is how to do that and i don't i don't i don't have all the answers oh man and this takes us to the end of our recording today because <laughs> i was hoping for all the answers yeah darn it <laughs> Imagine, um uh, it leads us really nicely to the business that you then started and i would say when every time I look at your website and every time I read through reviews um, that people left, I think it's not just a business. You are living this passion project. Women conquer business. Where did it come from? So my original business name, that's still my LLC actually, is Foster Growth. And it's because I feel like I foster growth and change in organizations. That was what I did in the public sector to an extent is what I've always done. And, but people thought I helped foster kids. And I was like, well, that's a fine profession and it's not what I do. You know, I'm not a social worker. I don't do that work. So then I was like, well, what is it? (laughs) What is it that I do? Like, what's another way of putting it? And I always thought that Women Conquer Business was a great name for a blog or a great name for a podcast. And it was ultimately the name of my podcast and the name of my business, because it was more of like a a statement, like, what is it that we need? And it's not that it's not a statement of saying, well, then men don't conquer business. No, it's more like (laughs) we need our own space as women and, and people who identify as women to just say that it's okay. Like it's okay for us to be in this world. It's okay for us to be a part of it. It's okay for us to carve out our own niche in it. And a lot of it is because, and I think this is starting to shift for sure, but it's because for a long time, the roles were not such (laughs) that women were encouraged to conquer anything, let alone the business world. So it's really about creating a safe space for people who, who don't feel like they have been encouraged to do what it is that they want to do. I would like to build this bridge back to a topic you mentioned earlier, and that's equity. As you said, women haven't always been in a position where it was 
easy to conquer business, where it even felt right to step into running your own businesses, believing in yourself. And I agree with you. I think there's still quite a lot of work to be done, right? And both of us work with women. So where are we equity-wise when it comes to female entrepreneurs and male entrepreneurs? Now, I'm not waiting for statistics now. It's more about how can we as women, you know, believe in ourselves and really get going in business as well? What do we need also from our male counterparts? Well, from our male counterparts, we need allyship. And that's not always a mentor. That's not necessarily what that means. It may mean that we need someone who's just like, hey, I'm a part of this space. Like, I think it would be great if you came along. Like, do you want to you want to join this group with me? Or, you know, we need that encouragement. You know, and we need to to lend it to men as well. We need to tell them when they've done well. It seems like a lot of times we, <laughs> we're just picking on each other as being part of these different groups. You know, I help women, people of color, non-binary folks, LGBTQAI plus people. Like, so like a whole spectrum of folks who have largely felt like they were excluded in one re- for one reason or another helping them get a footing. But that doesn't mean that the folks who maybe haven't always been on the outside looking in can't help us. But there needs to be an understanding and a a learning about how we communicate and how we do things differently. It also means that for some folks, they want to function outside of the structures that have rejected them. (laughs) And it's about creating your own space on your own terms and having somebody to talk to that's like, okay, I get, I get what you're doing. That makes sense to me. Here's how this would help. (laughs) And just finding the resources. And that's really what my business has been built on. And the relationships that I build are to really encourage other people, you know, to get help and resources to folks so that they can build the life that they want and the business that they want. So I am a woman, you, as I understand, are um, a woman, and you help women or individuals identifying as women in their business. Now, before we delve into how you help them specifically, what do you notice about those businesses? What's perhaps different or unique about them? How can we really make some tremendous changes in this world? Well, I will say that most of the folks that I help are very purpose-driven. They have a lot of ideas about how we can function differently. Like they have big goals and big dreams. And it really is about helping society be better. And that's not to say that like men don't do that or that it doesn't exist in other ways. It just happens to be the people that I help. And I love that because I really do feel like if we just do our part, we really can make the world that we want to live in that's more comfortable for everybody. And that it's definitely okay to carve out your own space (laughs) and disconnect from the things that where you've been rejected or you haven't been accepted. The world's a big place. There's room for everybody. Yeah, I agree with you. And there's room for a lot of marketeers. Now, what I don't want to say is you are purely a marketeer. I understand you are so much more than that. Um, And tell us a little bit more about 
what makes you so unique in your approach and in your way you service others, really? So when I started, so I was also the an accidental entrepreneur. So I had like, before I left my role in the public sector, I had been helping people kind of on the side. And it was because I had all of these friends who were running businesses that hadn't been getting what they actually needed from service providers. They were being overcharged and then underdelivered. And I was like, well, it can be better than this. It was about getting better information and better services to people. And then, you know, after I left, you start to see like, like even, even more things. You start to see kind of this idea that everything is about if you're small, there's this idea, particularly in marketing around getting rich quick. Or you can do it really, you know, everybody wants a shortcut. And the truth is, yes, we all want shortcuts. And it takes a lot of hard work <laughs> to get what you want. And so sometimes I feel like I'm the only voice or one of a very few voices, because I have a lot of really great colleagues that are saying marketing takes time and it takes iteration and you have to give yourself the patience to learn and to do and to test. And you don't always need really expensive tools and tactics to do that, particularly in the beginning when your budget is small. There are a lot of opportunities to be successful and you don't need click funnels or some of the big players that are hitting the market and really selling to people who can't afford their tools. You don't need all of that. And so that's really, and I call, I call that ClickFunnels approach grow marketing because it's really like, and it's really that like seven figures, you know, in three months. And if you don't get it, you're just not working hard enough. And, you know, here I am in my private jet and here I am like just crushing it. You know, it's about grinding it out, you know, and you need to ask for more. That doesn't work for everybody. And in fact, it doesn't work as consumers, especially in a post or, you know, post COVID world where people have been sitting on their couches for three years, buying stuff online. They can see the patterns. They can see through a lot of that stuff, those empty promises. And so I wanted to do things differently. That's a big part of what it is that I stand for, which is let's be authentic. Let's be honest. Let's have real conversations about how marketing works. What, did it, what are the tools that can really help somebody? How do we be a little more budget-friendly and budget-focused in what we do, knowing that being an entrepreneur is a marathon and not a sprint? Now, I could still imagine that there are some people approaching you who say, but I do want that sprint. <laughs> I need it quicker. Sprint. <laughs> I want Here's to be successful in their own definition, <laughs> ASAP. Um, so so what, what would you advise there? My advice there is certainly there are ways that you can speed this up. Like having a budget really helps. Having the ability to run even a few simple ads that you can test some of the language around how you're communicating. What is it that people respond to? Those things can definitely speed you up. Marketing only works when you know enough about your customers that you can begin to address their specific needs. So one of the things that happens is people buy a lot of tools online before they have enough customers to know how to use those tools properly. 
So my thing is don't put the cart before the horse. Don't it's, you know, we, this isn't a chicken or egg thing. Like there's no, no confusion about what came first. You have to understand your customers and you have to test some things out before you do a bunch of fancy sales funnels and tactics, because none of that's going to work if you don't actually explore things like product market fit and customer experiences and really figure some things out. It doesn't mean that it's going to take you like a hundred years to do it. It's just when you're small, you need to learn and do as much as you can so that you can then take that data and make tactical decisions along the way so that you can generate more customers and more data so that then you can, if you want to have an online sales funnel, then it'll work. Like that's the thing that people don't get. You don't just throw up a landing page and people mm-hmm. you know, know if you build it, they will come. You have to know about your customers and what they respond to. And then the landing pages work. <laughs> like it's it's not a, marketers aren't mind readers and they don't know what it is that you want. So you can even hire somebody and they're going to give you what they think you need. But the more you know about your actual folks, your actual products, how you deliver it, what people like about it, that you can start communicating to people and then they know how to research it. That's when marketing works. The shortcut isn't like, I'm just going to throw some tools at it because Russell Brunson or any of those guys say it (laughs) like it's not, it doesn't really work that way. And you have to understand that like all of those gurus, you know, Gary V and all those guys, they have a huge team, you know, they are making tactical decisions and they have folks who are helping them with what to say, when to say it and what's effective that a lot of us don't have when we're starting our business. So it's not a shortcut to do what they say. You still have to go through all of the works of what they went through. They're just skipping all that part because they can't sell it to you. And and a lot of them, let's highlight it as well. And there's no wrong or right about it, but a lot of them had certain different business lines before and still have. Yeah. Sure. Marketing is not the only thing. Gary Vee is a good example, right? He inherited a big chunk of his business from his dad, for example, right. together with his brother. And and they are doing an incredible job for their niche. Right? They attract certain people and they don't attract other people. Um, and right. I think often in this a bit more superficial world, we see the success, we read, and I read Russell Branson's first book, definitely, um, as well, thinking, oh, that sounds great. Let's get click funnels. Let's go get going, right? And then you realize it doesn't quite work like this. And then you get into this downward facing spiral of what am I doing wrong? I need to do more. I haven't done X enough and Y enough and so on and so forth. And you put yourself under pressure and actually forget there's one essential thing to focus on. And that's your potential or existing customer. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not to say that what they're saying is patently false or untrue. No. It's that they are skipping ahead <laughs> to the to their product, which is fair, right? I mean, it's what they do. I think that it's just unfortunate that so many people spend so much money and waste so much time doing things out of order. And so one of the things that I try to communicate with folks is the importance of looking at your marketing in a sequential in a sequential way so that you can maximize every step of the way so that when you buy those tools they work it's not 
that they're broken or that none of the none of that stuff works. I will say that bro marketing doesn't work, which is the like you you have to make your customer your customers the hero. You can't be bad mouthing them. Some of the bro marketers are like, if you don't get this, you're never going to be successful. I don't buy into any of that. I think that's disingenuous to market to people like they're dumb or like they have to work with you or they're never going to be successful. I I don't ascribe to any of that. But do sales funnels work? Absolutely. <laughs> if you do it at the right time, you know, you know, are the things that Gary Vee talks about effective? Absolutely. If you do them at the right time, mm-hmm. like it's not all or nothing, but it is about timing. Marketing is almost always about timing. I still find it very tricky. And I told you in our um, <laughs> previous conversation, and I admit to that here as well. I have such a love-hate relationship with marketing. If I could, I would love to create, and and I say if I could, I probably could, (laughs) um, build a customer base far more organically, great conversations, meeting people at certain events, having smaller networking connection meetups where we can truly talk but then you could say that's marketing (laughs) you put your brand out there you talk about how you serve uh, what you can do and you most importantly explore the needs of your customers there and that falls all under marketing doesn't it i mean a lot of things are marketing if you want to look at it like that i mean this podcast is marketing or yes you know all all of that stuff is it's it's all valid but it is also about the presentation like you get a lot better information if not everything is presented through a marketing lens, you know, and you have a lot more fun <laughs> if, you know, you go and you you do some of those meetups and you do talk about business, but you don't push and push and push yeah. on people. Yeah. Some things have to be a little bit organic because people don't like to be sold to all the time. Like when I started my company, I was like, oh, I just don't want people to think I'm like, some used car salesman, and then now they do all these surveys and they realize that people think of marketers as worse than car salesmen. And I'm like, oh, great. Now I'm even worse, you know? And it's like, well, no, like my brand isn't, you know, but there are some brands that, you know, have given marketing a bad name. And I think that's part of it. You know, the other part is as women, we aren't necessarily encouraged to be out front. We're not necessarily encouraged to push and to make sales and all of that. That wasn't traditionally a role. So if you're a woman who's maybe over 40 or whatever, I mean, it's just not how, and I am over 40. I mean, that's just not how we were raised (laughs) to do stuff. I mean, it's just a whole different environment. And I think that some of our like anxiety about it comes from that. I mean, it also comes from, if you read just general studies and they're all just generalizations, you know, just like saying women haven't traditionally been salespeople, but women, they say, are more prone to not apply for a job if they don't meet every single mm-hmm. criteria, whereas mm-hmm. men are more like, ah, I could do it. You know? <laughs> and I think it's kind of it's um, and, and again, that's a generalization, but it kind of speaks to some of that of like. This difference that that some people have around just throwing your hat in the ring. 
Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalog of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash inner professional. So you mentioned a few roles that you played in your past. Teaching was one of them, being in a tax and revenue department was one of them. Where's the marketing coming from? Because I'm oh, all up for yeah. starting a new adventure and not being the expert necessarily <laughs> right away. But help me out here. I'm realizing that I skipped that whole career. <laughs> <laughs> so um, before before I went into the Peace Corps, I worked for 10 years in marketing. I was a graphic designer. Um, I worked in several places doing lots of different things. In my article about ClickFunnels, I talk about how I used to design junk mail. Like, so I know kind of where he's coming from with like video sales letters and, you know, all of that kind of thing to bring people in. Uh, certainly the role I had at the city, because I had this marketing background, you know, I was also, I redeveloped their website <laughs> and like made it customer facing. And we got I can't remember how many millions more traffic after doing like SEO. Uh, it's been a big part of my life. It's like the the piece that like once you are an art major and, and an English major <laughs> and you just do it, like it just kind of becomes part of the fabric of, of who I am and what I do and kind of how I look at the world. So, yeah, I mean, I do have a legitimate corporate background in marketing. And I took a little hiatus from it <laughs> when I was, when I went into the Peace Corps. And then I thought I had like totally left it behind when I got my master's degree. And then it, it's kind of like the mob. It just keeps pulling me back. So mm. um, that's why a lot of folks who know me say that I'm, I'm not necessarily a marketer first because I'm really about like productivity, automation, making things easier, but then looking at it through a marketing lens. And part of that is tactical for me. When I first got out <laughs> of my corporate job, I couldn't get people to understand the importance of productivity and the role that tech plays in that. And I was like, well, I know marketing. That seems to be what everybody wants. So <laughs> then I just started doing that um, just out of market need. And then it's kind of like, I give people what they want in terms of marketing so they can learn about it. And then I get a chance to talk about the, what I call the peas and carrots, you know, making people eat their vegetables by understanding the ethics and the tech and the automation, mm. <laughs> because that's the part that is really underpinning all of it. You, you can't do marketing anymore without some form of technology to help drive it. So I get to talk about all the things I want by throwing marketing in there. Well, I want you for one moment to blow your own trumpet. And to share a little bit more about what people gain from working with you. What do they say about collaborating with you? How do they leave your services as well? You know, it's interesting because when I read the comments or the testimonials, 
it's like they feel more confident. And I'm like, I'm not even selling, I'm not selling confidence, but in a way it is because it helps people, the guidance helps people feel better about stepping into the light, you know, of, of like show, shining their light to the world, you know, which is really what marketing is. Marketing for me is different from sales. Like marketing really brings people to the door and your sales process is what converts them. You might be able to get somebody to sign up for your email list or follow you on social media, but to become a customer, it's not marketing that does that. It's sales. You have to actually talk to somebody in order to make the sale. So I help people feel more confident about being out there and, and bringing things in. People call me like a, like a, a business fairy or a, <laughs> a shiro. <laughs> like they have all these words that are kind of like interesting to me and um, kind of embarrassing to talk about, but they do feel good. Like, and, and I like to feel like helping people get access to the tools that they need and feel confident about using them and about sharing what they do, like sharing their passion for what's important with the world is really, that's how we make change. So I feel very passionate about it. I, I love it. I love when I'm working with somebody and the light comes on and they suddenly see possibility. Really love the word Shiro. <laughs> that's brilliant. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Would love to steal that right away, but it doesn't quite feel that good to do it when somebody else was called the Shiro. <laughs> <laughs> um, what you just explained is for me the, the crux of marketing, though, and I haven't nailed it. But basically, you probably help people gain more confidence, feel more secure, making sure they have a great plan in place to run their marketing, to step out there and speak about it and become more visible. But you probably, and I'm just looking at your website at the same time, you market it differently, what you're doing and how you're helping. And that I find just so fascinating in marketing, how you can truly nail it down and write how you serve people, knowing there's a ton of other stuff that's actually going to happen that will convince you but that's the one that will attract you to me. How do you right. figure that out? I mean, nobody has, we're all iterating on it all the time. You know, I, what I tell people a lot is one of the most important things you can do is get those reviews and testimonials because that's what, that's the language that resonates with them to explain you. And then you take that information and you share that with your folks. And that's what really, helps you build your business. That's, that is an element of the copy that you write. That's an element of the services you offer <laughs> because what you're actually doing is what people are looking for. That's the gold. The gold is what other people say about you. And then you, you take that and integrate it into your marketing. You mentioned earlier on that you're not doing it alone and you have a whole community in your business people supporting you, kind of mentoring you as well. Uh, and, and I find that fascinating. So how important is community to you? I mean, it's really important. You know, a, a big part of my business is, you know, serving as a coach for area organizations, the 
city of Portland. I'm in Portland, Oregon in the States, and they have an economic development division that serves people of color and helps them build their businesses. And I was one of the founding digital marketing consultants and they send me clients. There's another organization here called Accelerate, the Accelerate Women. It's a fund and they help women scale their business. And I'm a mentor for that. They send me clients and those organizations don't pay me as much as I could charge, you know, just out on the free market, but they still pay me well. And I love that it's an opportunity to help people who maybe couldn't afford me that go through these programs, get the opportunity to like work, not just with me, but with other folks who are part of the communities where we all serve just so that we can be a part of making businesses better in Portland and in Oregon where I live. So a lot of what I do is community-based. I help people anywhere across the country. I help a lot of people remotely, but the work is really about, you know, I, I put my money where my mouth is. I want my community to be better. So I help people in my community. And then now I'm starting to build my own membership and community to like help others that aren't local <laughs> and making it affordable so that people can be a part of it as well. And that's the true meaning of equity. I mean, I hope so, but that's what we're trying to do. You know, it's a, it's a big part of my personal values and then sharing that with others. And I don't think that I'm as good about talking about that. I feel kind of, it doesn't come through in my marketing because I don't know how to talk about it without it sounding like icky to me. Like, and I don't know that it would be icky to other people, but I don't like talking about it because I don't want to necessarily bring attention to that stuff in a way that I don't want people to be like, oh, well, she just thinks she's better than everybody. <laughs> it's like, no, it's just, I help people in the ways that I do because it's aligned with my values and my mission. And if you were to describe some of the biggest mistakes some of us make when starting out in our small businesses when it comes to marketing what are they what can we learn from you in particular i think that one of the biggest things that people and i can't remember if we talked about it before when we talked about it or not is i think a lot of people start with social media because it's easy or you know quote unquote easy in their mind because it's free and they can just start putting things out there. If you don't have a strategy behind it, I call it just the spray and pray method, meaning you're just like putting everything out there and then yeah. praying that something sticks and you get attention from it. That's one of the big mistakes. <laughs> and then the second big mistake is not realizing that your business goals and your marketing tasks have to be tied to one another. And what that means is every marketing thing that you do, you have to somehow relate it to a business goal that you have. And I realized that there's a big disconnect among a lot of folks around that, that people seem to think that like marketing is over here and the business is over here and never the two shall meet, you know, and, and that's not really how it works. All that marketing is, is how you get the word out about the things that you care about. And if you care about building your business, then you have to have some marketing to get the word out about it. And when you start to like destigmatize marketing down to that, these bare essentials and the simplicity.
simplicity of it, marketing becomes a lot easier because then it's like, oh, I'm just telling people about like the cool stuff I'm doing or like I'm just telling people about the things that, you know, the services that I offer. And then it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> like and how many more of those do you want? And what are some specific marketing tasks that you can do around that? It seems to take some of the sting or the confusion out of it when you start to really look at goals and what's it going to take to actually achieve them. And and you know what? In our previous conversation, you really reminded me of the range of marketing. You mentioned social media and social media is indeed the go-to space, right? And there are some social media platforms I haven't familiarized myself with deliberately, um, but I know they could actually be really good potential to acquire new I don't know if it's necessarily clients, um, but potentially um, chemistry calls and so on and so forth. And yet I have a huge barrier when it comes to social media. I am somewhat out there. The podcast obviously takes me out there and it's the podcast is, is definitely a passion project of mine. But I, I still really struggle with social media and being online all the time, comparing yourself constantly getting initial and immediate feedback, i.e. no feedback is also feedback and so on and so forth. So if there are people like me who say, actually, I would love to remove myself from social media for a while and focus again on, on the real human connections face-to-face, -face, talking to people, what can we do? Well, a lot of people like working with me because I, I actually tell people social media is not the first thing that you need to be focused on. <laughs> Thank you. Because social media is it's it's so much easier when you know more about your customers. And how do you know more about your customers? You talk to them. And how do you talk to them? Well, that's networking. And now that we're able to maybe do a little bit more in person, like that's meeting them in person and attending events and you know, doing all of that kind of thing. Like there's a lot of ways to get the word out. If you think about marketing, it's just how do I get the word out? Like it kind of suddenly opens up a lot of things, you know, speaking, it's being on other people's podcasts. It's, you know, hosting events or attending events. It's sponsoring events. It's, you know, I mean, there's like, there's such a wide range of things to do, but most people, when you start your business, it's like, okay, who is it that you serve? <laughs> what are your values? Like, what are, what's all of that? And you take that and then you start to meet with customers and you build a little bit of a list, your customer list. and you have a, a, what I call a good enough website <laughs> and you have a little email form on there. And even if you're not going to email anybody yet, you want to collect emails from the beginning so that you, when you're ready to send newsletters and emails, you at least have a handful of people and it's okay if it's your brother or your mom or your husband on that list, because we all start there, <laughs> you know, and there's just so many other options. There's a huge, I mean, there's just a plethora of ways that you can do this. You don't have to be on, you know, Facebook and Twitter and like all the places. I usually tell people just focus on like one or two platforms. You have to be everywhere. And you only start doing social media when you're ready. But it is a good way to connect with folks. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, you don't even have to post a ton, you know, to start connecting with people. Social media is a lot more effective when you're commenting on other people's posts anyway. So you don't have to be just spraying and praying <laughs> you can go and make connections and if you see something really cool you can share it and it's incredibly effective as well i love that expression spraying and praying brilliant 
<laughs> yeah, it's a right. completely different feel about social media marketing now. <laughs> well, a lot of people do that. That's why yeah, you're like, me oh, included. why am I seeing that again? Jeez, <laughs> you know, and it's like, there's no variety. They're not, they don't seem to care about what anybody else is posting or how it looks, you know, it'd be like, I always tell people like about social media, imagine that it's a conversation. Would you want to talk to yourself <laughs> if, you, if your social media persona was it? Like if all you're doing is like, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm oh, doing yeah. this. And you don't comment on anybody else's things or yeah, yeah nobody wants that. And, and I think the same applies to authenticity. You know, authenticity in the sense of my life looks now so perfect <laughs> and everything right. is just beautiful and surfing the waves. And I'm like, for Christ's sake, come on. Even if your life is perfect most of the times, there will be days that are less perfect. Why can't we talk about that from time to time as well? I relate to that far more because I have some real crap days from time to time yeah. as well. Where I, And I'm focused on leadership where I really have to lead myself properly to get out of bed to right. make sure I show up in the best possible way. Why can't we talk about that? Right. Well, I think we can. Yes. Actually, you know, like I remember I used to just, I used to just worry and worry and worry about sending out a newsletter. Like, is there, are there any mistakes? And it meant like I never would send one out. And now I send them out and I'm like, oh, that's, you know, misspelling or something. And I'm like, well, at least you're more human, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of my response. Like, you know, that I know that people are seeing it and they're like, well, at least she's, at least she makes mistakes too, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you have to like, Cut yourself some slack and be honest about like what's going on and how things are working and and you can't always strive for perfection because it's just not anybody's reality and i would at the same time say i'm not a native english speaker so for me the biggest hurdle is always going out there and writing and expressing myself in the best possible way even with this podcast i still have insecurities about max and my language my mistakes that i'm making in the language and at the same time, it's a great space where you can be in flow, where you can have such tremendous conversations as with you, for example, and you kind of forget about those insecurities. And I think from my perspective, I'm not a marketeer, nor an expert in that field, but I think it's really important that you find a method that you feel good about, where you can be yourself and where you can express your voice in writing and speaking, whatever it is in a really meaningful way. I totally agree. I mean, and I had no idea you weren't a native English speaker because I feel like I'm always just butchering the language, even though I was like born in America. Of course, you know, when I went to England, I was like, well, this is this is how English is supposed to sound. Not, <laughs> you know, whilst boarding the subway, you know, or the tube or whatever, you know, and I'm like, I was yeah, taking pictures of whilst everywhere because I was like, so formal look at how fancy <laughs> so i mean i think we all have all of which is to say i think that many people have a lot of insecurities about a lot of things and we still have to do it anyway now that said when it comes to marketing marketing is really about repetition you know it's about setting up a schedule of like well i'm going to post twice a week or i'm going to write a blog post or i'm going to do like whatever it is so it's important 
to set goals and to do it for a while. And then it's also important to do the things that you feel comfortable about and making sure that there's overlap. <laughs> like you don't want to have a podcast if none of your, if your audience, if your clients are 80 year olds, cause they're unlikely to be listening to podcasts, right? Like you need to have something where there's some overlap with your customer base, but you also have to realize that you don't need everybody. You probably can't help everybody. Yeah. You know, so you just really need a handful of folks that are really digging on the thing that you like to do, that you like to share. Um, and then making sure that you're in those spaces where your folks are and that they're finding it, you know? So that's why it's like, you don't just throw up a landing page and expect results. You have to make sure that like you're sharing it in the right spots and the language really speaks to them. So the most important thing about marketing is just getting out there and talking to folks and learning about it where they are and then deciding whether or not you want to be there. <laughs> and most of the time you got to be there wherever they are and getting into a routine around it. Mm -hmm. And you start to feel more comfortable just by building those muscles and that routine. So it's all sort of about consistency and really sticking to it. In my case, patience. You know, don't oh, expect yeah. after a week everything is going to be perfect patience. and change. Patience is, it's one of the biggest things. Like people give up on marketing way too soon. It, it, over and over again, you know, you have to, you know, like blogging and podcasting. Those are the long game. Any sort of content marketing. It takes time. It takes time for Google to catch up. It takes time for people to understand well, what is it? What is it? What's the what's happening? I thought you had a podcast, like, you know, because people are busy. Like, that's the other thing is like, you could feel like you're talking about things until you're blue in the face and like people, they don't see it because social media has such an atrocious organic reach right now where not everybody sees your posts or they don't really understand what a podcast is or, you know, I mean, so there, that's why it takes like so many touches for people to get get to know you and, and understand what it is that you're doing, let alone take those actions. So that's why patience is, is one of the biggest parts of marketing. It's testing and patience. Those are the two things that you have to be willing to do. Speaking about qualities, characteristics, very, very early on in our conversation, you mentioned, oh, I've always been a curious lifelong learner. Yeah. Now, what the audience doesn't know, what the listeners do not know, is that I asked you a few questions when we booked this call. And one of the questions was, what has been your biggest flaw that has become your biggest strength, basically? And you wrote, and really stuck with me, you wrote exactly that down. I have been always curious and a lifelong learner. And I thought, where's the flaw here? <laughs> What's going on? But obviously, you must have perceived it as a flaw at some point. And I'm really curious about that. Well, <laughs> well, not everybody else is interested in what you're learning about. <laughs> you know, and yeah. uh, I was hired to be an expert. And then when I became too experty, I was basically not wanted anymore at my corporate or public sector position. But it's also dangerous because the more you learn, you can sometimes go down like rabbit holes and get distracted. And I think that for me, particularly since the pandemic, <laughs> there have been some rabbit hole moments where I've been like, nope, 
<laughs> you got to like rein yourself in. And I would say that for entrepreneurs, there is that analysis paralysis that can happen. I've worked through a lot of that where I'm just like, well, I just got to do it because if I don't do it, I'll never know. And that's the, that's the rub, right? You can't just be learning all the time you have to be doing. And you can't just be doing it for yourself. You have to be doing it for others. So there's just a lot to it. Like if you're always learning, you're not necessarily teaching. So there's, there's a lot of reasons why <laughs> there's a lot of reasons why it's a strength. <laughs> there's a lot of reasons why it's maybe not um, always a strength. When you started off talking about it, I thought to myself, well, someone else might have seen it as a flaw. I, your expertise wasn't valued despite the fact that you were yeah. hired for it or because of it. And you said there are loads of advantages to it, being a lifelong learner, being curious. How is it benefiting you in your business, particularly curiosity? Well, I think it's just a level of flexibility because I'm always looking at solutions. My, I don't know, I guess it's another one of my values. I've never really articulated it like that is that there's more than one right answer and there's more than one right way. And that might be one of the big arguments I have with a lot of marketers who are like, well, you have to do this. And it's like, well, I really don't, you know? And so it's really beneficial. <laughs> it's really beneficial for me and my clients to look at things differently. Like I, I know that there are a lot of marketers who are like, no, you have to be on social media. You have to be doing all of this. No, not really. Depends on what you do. You know, the answer to most questions is it depends. And that can make people crazy, but it also means that you're with somebody who's curious enough to find the solutions. And mm -hmm. I think that that's what makes it really beneficial for my clients. I mean, they come to me because I'm not a cookie cutter solution. You know, I want to know what's going on with you and let's dive into that and we'll figure out because marketing only works if you do it. So like, I'm not going to tell you what you have to do because if you're never going to do it, then it's not successful for you. So we have to find the way and that's, that's the curiosity. That's how it helps and benefits others is like, okay, well, everybody told you you had to do it like this. How come you're not doing it? Oh, cause you hate it. Oh, okay. Well, let's, what's the other way? <laughs> like, what do you like to do? <laughs> and then what are you going to commit to? And, yeah. and then that's where the solution lies. So where is your next adventure going to take you? Who knows? Um, let's see. I, I'm traveling to Washington, D.C. in a couple of months, and then I'm going, I guess, next month. And then I have a I'm celebrating my anniversary probably by going to Hawaii Ooh, <laughs> in, lovely. in a few months. Yeah, it'll be lovely. Otherwise, who knows? You know, I've got I've got a lot of things going in my business right now that I'm pretty happy about. So I'm just going to keep sticking to it. You know, that's the mm -hmm. other pitfall of lifelong learners is they can, you know, it's like squirrel and like you go after the new thing and uh, I finally just, this is, this is it. This is what mm -hmm. I've settled on. So the next adventure is going to be the next client, the next project. That's very calming and content at the same time. And Jen, <laughs> um, what I'm not trying to get out of you is to say, I need to change right now. And there needs to be the <laughs> next big thing. Absolutely not. I admire your path though. And how you kind of reinvented yourself, how you experimented with different paths, how you 
have this one thread that's always about serving other people to make something better for them or to empower them to improve something. And not everybody has the opportunity, even the awareness or the audacity to say, oh, let me try something different because this path might not be the right one for me. And you had that and still have it. And I'm curious as to whether you have any insight that you can share with us about the signs of it's time to move on. When do you know that now you're ready that something else needs to happen? You know, there are a lot of folks who don't see that they can leave and that they have possibility. And I think the first step is to bring back that childlike realm of of possibility of exploration. I think that certainly I had the the golden handcuffs. I had I was making a ton of money, but I was miserable. And I realized that wasn't you know, I mean my dad had a heart attack when he was 50. I didn't want that. I didn't want to work for somebody who made me miserable and I knew I needed to do do something. So I started to investigate and make those changes. I think it's a very personal thing, like how you go through that and how you design it. But I think it does start with a little bit of dreaming and realizing that you have so many things that you could be doing and that it doesn't have to be like this. And it, do- it may take a little bit of hard work because maybe you can't just leave. You know, maybe you need to do a little bit on the side and you need to start really investigating and thinking about and doing things to help you understand the, the potential and the possibilities for your life. But it's definitely worth exploring. I'm going to take that with me. I'm going to start dreaming again a little bit and see, you know, where it takes me. Yeah. Yeah. And I often say it, you know, apply some childlike curiosity and you say get into this realm of childlike seeing childlike possibilities. And I feel that that really resonates with me. Yeah. We often set ourselves quite a few boundaries. So why not at least dream and think about what is possible? Exactly. Is there any additional top tip? that you would like to share with the listeners before I let you go. Man, I can't think of anything else. I feel I feel like I've I, I mean there's tons of stuff, but you know, I think we've hit on so many cool things. I can't think of any one last insight. I mean, I think dreaming and exploring and learning it's also important, you know, and and those are things that you can be taking with you no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. Jen, where can people find out more about you? Well, I am most active on LinkedIn, on social media, and it's just Jen McFarland, Jen with one N, although I did find another Jen McFarland, but we're now friends on LinkedIn, so if you get the wrong one, (laughs) you can find her and she'll send you over to me. Um, That's part of the childlike part about being in business. She started showing up in my Google alerts and I was like, is this person? (laughs) And I scheduled a meeting with her and met her. So, you know, have fun in your business. Um, so you can meet, you can find me on LinkedIn, Jen McFarland or uh, Women Conquer Business. And that's Women Conquer Biz 
com, And that's where I have all my articles and newsletter and information. Wonderful. And as always, we are going to be sharing those links with you. So don't you worry about not being able to get in touch with the right Jen McFarland. We'll guide you there. <laughs> Last but not least, share your dreams and all those possibilities they opened up for you with us. Let us know. And if you need and want any additional support or any support at all when it comes to marketing, well, Jen is clearly your woman. Get in touch. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Most importantly, thank you, Jen, for being a wonderful guest here today. Thank you for having me. Have a fantastic day, evening, afternoon, wherever you are. Looking forward to speaking to all of you again very soon. Bye-bye and take good care. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.